welcome back to The Good Cast. This is episode, I think we're up to episode 18. <laughs> this is cool. This is fun. Hey, there's been a bit of a theme rolling around The Good Cast lately, and we've really been talking about vulnerability. Um, the last episode, I was speaking with William Paul Young, talked a lot about shame. In today's episode, we're going to continue on this conversation of vulnerability, what it looks like to be vulnerable in a faith community. We're going to have a chat with Alex Seeley, who just wrote a book called Taylor Made. She is a, a pastor along with her husband in Nashville, Tennessee, and they're pastoring a community called The Belonging. And we had a really cool conversation about her book. Something that really stood out to me about the book was how we wear different labels. She talks to how we can wear different brands and you know labels on our clothes, but how we actually wear labels ourselves. Really cool conversation about how to unpack that and also how to deal with the labels that we may have picked up, others may have put on us, and yeah, vulnerability in our stories and how important that is for continuing to shape healthy faith communities. So it's a it's a fun chat. Um, listen in. I hope that you're I hope that you get something from this. Um, I was glad that I read her book. It it really did challenge some of the labels that I've worn in my life. And yeah, it was cool. I do apologize. The audio in this isn't so great as well. I caught Alex on, I believe, on her son's birthday. And so, yeah, she's, you know, she's doing mom stuff in the middle of things. And the audio wasn't the best, but it was still a really cool conversation. I'm glad to share it all with you. So if you guys have any questions or any thoughts on the good cast, please let us know. Um, also, maybe some topics or some authors that you'd love us to chat with. Also, please let me know. And if you could take some time to rate The Good Cast on iTunes, if you, if you could do that, that'd be so great. That helps The Good Cast be heard by, um, by more people, extend the audience and the reach of these conversations that I do believe are incredibly transformative in our lives. Also, this is a bit of fun. If you could take a little photo of you listening to The Good Cast, maybe what you're doing while you're listening to Good Guys, if you're driving, maybe just take don't take a photo because we don't want to get busted with uh, driving with our mobile phones. That wouldn't be smart. But um, if you're listening to it at home, yeah, I just, I'd also just love to see um, faces of people who are, are listening in and hear stories behind those faces that'd be cool something different but um yeah why don't we welcome alex silly to the good cast it's gonna be a great conversation and thanks again for listening in well i just wanted to firstly uh alex congratulate you on writing your first book well done that's so cool i want to if we can go back to though the um the moment when I don't know if you were sitting down with a journal, if you were sitting down with a blank page, a blank screen, but what did, if you can kind of go back to that moment, what did it feel like as you started? Well, the, the long story is I actually started this book over 10 years ago. And, um, and I remember I was actually just sitting writing notes in a tiny, tiny little notebook of ideas of yep. this whole concept um, of identity. I think for me, I've been a pastor for 20, 
25 years now, 24, 25 years. And what is constantly coming up against is Christians who just didn't know who they were. And so I started to think about myself and going, I've been a Christian my whole life and it's just, I'm just figuring it out in my 30s. You know, why why don't we know who we are? So I started writing down actually a lot of uh, metaphors that related to being a couture garment and being a one-off and how God made us unique. And I started writing all these ideas about what makes us a unique one-off. I remember telling my husband, I think I need to write this book and I think I need to use my life as a journey. So I remember I still have the tiny little book. It's about this big and I just wrote notes um, and that was over 10 years ago. And when you went, if you, while you were going through that process, was there any fear of what, what are people going to think about this? Like, is this, is this going to be anything that people want to read? Cause we, we've been talking to, I've been talking to a few different people who have been doing new things. And this podcast is a, is a relatively new thing for me. And, and yeah. did, did you face any of that kind of stuff as you began sort of journaling this out and putting this out there? Absolutely. I probably thought that right up until my editor was telling me about <laughs> content. Yeah. You know, um, and that was the crazy part of it. But I, I really do. I think when it's your story, you've lived with it so long that that you go, well, is anyone else even going to care? Like, is this mm-hmm. any good? Like, is am I speaking anything new? And I remember someone saying to me, early on you know no one has your voice or your story so you need to share it and so when I took a hold of that I realized well I can't get it wrong because it's my voice and no one else has my voice and it's my story and no one else has my story so I'm not having to measure up to anybody I'm not having there's no right or wrong with it I've just got to do it and so that actually helped me it pushed me over the edge and brought me to completion because it was like, I have to share my story. Uh, I think m- my greatest fear with it was sharing my mum's story mm. um, and, and, and having her life kind of put in the pages and had, having to really relive all those thoughts as I grew up and had to deal with that. Because I think once you've dealt with it with your parents, you realise they have to go, oh, is that really what you've processed and how you thought about that? So for me, that was the greatest fear of it all. But... Um, we got there, we got there in the end. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you do mention a lot of your your family story throughout the book, and at the at the end, you talk about that. You say, you know, this is this is really your book. Like this is this is our yeah. story. How did how did your mom? How did how did that go? Because you do talk a lot about you know how you grew up with your mom, and um, I guess some of the yeah. we'll get into a little bit that, uh, later on, but some of the things you picked up from your mom from the conversations you'd heard. How did how did your mum and you your relationship kind of go as the book got closer to maybe being published? As she found out what you were talking about? Yeah, well, I'd always told her that I was going to write this book, yeah. and the good this is the difference. My people with our relationship, and so there, it, we weren't in process. I was in process as I was writing the book. So this was way after uh, dealing with that. So I told mum about the idea and I said, you know, this is, I'm going to relive some things, but this is not who we are now. This is not who you are now. This is not who I am now. But in order to, to help others heal, I think we have to share our story. 
And so she was awesome. And so she read the book the whole way through. And I remember giving her the final manuscript. Mm -hmm. And she called me uh, two weeks after receiving it. Just said, wow, you know, this is brilliant. And she goes, I know that there are some things I've had to relive and go, wow, I, you know, I did some damage. But if this book can help one life, then, you know, our story's worth it. And and I think this is where my mum's a real hero because when you're healed and whole, you're able to tell your story from a different perspective. There are no, there's no sting involved in it. There is no unforgiveness. There's no um, wounding in it. And I think it's different when you're trying to tell a story when you haven't resolved issues with your family, mm-hmm. but you have resolved issues. It's a completely different setup. And we have resolved in so many levels. And my mum's actually amazing. And along the way, she was amazing. And this is what I try and show the backstory of her life, is that she wasn't mean and cruel. She had that. And I think the whole purpose of this book is to show us that hurt people hurt people, but it's never the enemy wants us to look at us when actually we're all broken and fractured at some level. And so because when we don't get fixed and healed, we eventually break people along the way. So I was trying to help people see that it's not, it's not, you know, when someone gets sexually abused, they think it's their fault. It's not their fault. A broken person violated them because they were broken. And it wasn't a personal, they went to you to hurt your life. The effect was that your life got completely shattered. But we make it about some ourselves and we, and we carry the shame for somebody else's brokenness i think that that was what i found with um with your book is that you did tell the story and oftentimes what why do you think in why do you think in a christian community do we often um whitewash the story because you didn't whitewash the story. You told it in its honesty. You told it in its rawness. And I think I love it that you said, you know, your mom read the book and you said, you know, if others can learn from this, if others can grow from this, if others can be healed from this, it's worth it sharing this. But why do you think there's this? Because I, I find sometimes maybe, maybe I just find this, but I find sometimes in Christian, in the Christian world that we whitewash stories. Why do you think we do that? Absolutely. We whitewash it. And this is why I had to be as vulnerable as I was, because I'm so tired of the church covering, uh, because we we carry shame mm. and shame wants to hide. And shame, we think by be- being vulnerable, we're being weak. And we think by not telling the full truth, especially for those of us that are in leadership, we think then we don't have a voice to share with with people. But I think it's the opposite. I think vulnerability is the key to seeing others break through. Uh, And I think it's pride. I think it's fear, fear of being rejected, fear of being looked down upon, like, oh. But when you come out of it the other end, you need to be able to tell people the truth and how you got to freedom. Because that's, that's what sets a leader apart from a follower. It's not that the leader is better than the person. It's that the leader has applied the truth of God's word and got through to the other side. So why wouldn't we share the process on how we got there? Because we're all trying to be perfect versions. Nobody's perfect. And this is why we've actually got a fractured church, because leaders think that once they've got a microphone in their hand and they're on a pulpit, that all of a sudden nothing affects them. And there's no, 
we've got so many leaders and, you know, I've got to be careful with what <laughs> I say because um, but it's why the church is fractured because no one wants to be honest. And I don't believe being honest in process because that can be damaging. But after the fact, we need to share the truth of our story. Otherwise, people are like, I'll never attain to that or there's some sort of perfection that we're trying to attain to and no one's perfect. We're just... We're just broken vessels getting there and getting to the other side. I can say unequivocally I am free and I'm free completely, but I wasn't always like that. And that's okay because who <laughs> is? You know? So I think it's pride and I think it's fear. So I, I just it's been the biggest response actually on this book is that thank you for the transparency, thank you for the vulnerability, thank you that someone who has a voice is actually sharing the truth, you know. So I think we got to do it, but not in process. That's very important. In your yeah, you could you could see that you could sense that in in the book as yeah. you're reading it, you could sense you know this was this was a painful time for Alex and um and that really came through. And so I want to you know thank you for that honesty as well. Isn't it interesting though that the thing that we're to, we're told it, through scripture the power of your testimony is there's power in that yes. there's immense power in that isn't that fascinating that that's the thing that we diminish and we soften or we quiet in order yeah. to look perfect whereas you're exactly yeah. right we're all learning we're all growing and discovering what it is to be like Jesus yeah absolutely absolutely vulnerability is key and I love it and and my church it's it's been based on that and I think that's why people have gravitated to it because finally, you know, and I'm not saying air your dirty laundry while you're going through it, like I said, yeah. that's damaging. But you do have to just share the truth. Hey, I've gone through brokenness but I'm here on the other side and this is how I got there. And it just helps people go, oh, my gosh, if he did it for Alex, he can do it for me. You know, we're all the same sons and daughters mm-hmm. and we all need a saviour. And the beauty of bringing everything that is hidden and in darkness, the enemy wants us to keep it there because it exacerbates. But when you bring something to light, the light shines on it and it's not as hideous when you put it in the light. Mm-hmm. Always hideous. Dark. And I think the enemy wants us to keep secrets and wants us to live in shame. But I believe in the sunsets free. It's free indeed. That's good. And so when you're free, you can really share it. So yeah. I'm hoping that. That's good, Alex. I wanted to yeah. – yeah, um, a big theme that I was kind of picking up as I was reading through um, your book was labels, um, yeah. how we pick up or we – we can self-label, we can self-diagnose yeah. ourselves. What, what what do you mean by that? What do you mean by labels? Because you talk a lot about that. You talk about clothing labels. We're talking about Gucci. We're talking about self-labels. Yeah. Where did that kind of, where did you start to see yourself picking up labels in your life? Well, I just, I, 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 I was told I was stupid for most of my life. That's a label. Mm. So then you believe stupid. Uh, people get told they're fat or they're ugly or they're, they're, they're stereotypes or you're, you're shy or you're introverted or you're quiet. So they're labels, whether you like it or not, and we live up to them. You're the funny one. You're the clown. You're the middle child syndrome. You, you get thrown into these stereotypes that I think are quite damaging, and some of them are well-intended. You know, you're the this or, you know, you're the, you're the loud one. You're the extroverted one. You're, you're 
obnoxious or whatever it is, like people then go, oh, that, that's who I am. It diminishes the very complexity of who we are. Like we're not just one thing. Just because I may have failed in an area that doesn't make me a failure, you know, I made a mistake. Now I'm going to, you know, I've been held to that mistake. I'm a criminal, so now I'm a criminal for the rest of my life. Um, people, you know, have been a drug addict and so that's what I, or I'm an alcoholic. Like why do we have to label ourselves? No, I'm a child of God and I get to actually live out the destiny that God's got for me and if he said in Psalm 139 that he's written every single one of our days in his book before one of them came to be, then we need to learn from that book who we are, not what we're told by people or teachers or leaders, spouses, and the list goes on. So I think labels are very much determined. Even when you see people in clothing labels, it determines your socioeconomic background. It uh, puts value on whether you buy something from CW or whether you're buying something from a high-end designer. Automatically, it labels us on something. And so we're so affected. Social media says you've got to look a certain way, be a certain way. And so we're living up to labels when I think we need to just know that we're sons and daughters of the king and that we're very uniquely made and no one person can stereotype us. So, so how do how did the label of you're stupid, um, how did that affect your life? Not just in how did you feel, but how did it, because, because oftentimes what I found, this is interesting. When I was reading your book, I was reminded of this. It was the smallest sort of strangest moment, but I was at dinner and I said something and someone said, Oh, that, you know, that was really intelligent. What did you say? And, um, or, and they labeled me like, Oh, that, you know, you're really smart. And what it did to me was the opposite of what anyone would have thought it would do to me. It made me afraid of saying anything else because I was like, how do I, how do I live up to that expectation that I'm smart now? Right. Because I'm going to say something and it's going to be an absolute, it's going to be a buffoon statement. It's going to be silly. It's not going to make any sense. But then there's also things that I could say that are going to be great, but I'm not going to say them because I'm afraid to say them because I need to make sure now to sound smart in front of that person. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And we live it. And that's the thing. Like you think there's so many kids that you know, that are told that they're amazing and smart and they're given accolade on their performance. Mm-hmm. So now they feel like, oh, that's who I am. I have to now live up to this brainiac genius. And what about if I just don't want to be that? Like, you know, and I think sometimes, and it's well-meaning. It's not like now we've just got to avoid people saying who we are and who we are not. It's what we allow to shape and form us. See, like that started to shape and form you and now you second-guessed and now you have to think. It's like, no, just be yourself. Yeah. And whether it comes out silly or whether it comes out smart, (laughs) it's okay. Yeah. And I think that's the fear of, you know, that that lid that gets put on all of us at some point. So So did you you find um, the label of you're stupid, did you find that actually framing the decisions that you made as you were growing up? Yeah, well, I think I I used to think, well, because I was told I couldn't do this or that and, 
because if I made a mistake, it was deemed stupid, or if I didn't bring home of the good grades, I was stupid, therefore I was less than. It affected how I would even make a decision to buy clothes or the fear in me. And it wasn't just that. It was coupled with the physical abuse. It's covered with the just the constant guilt of you know it's not just and i think this is the thing it's not just one time one thing and then all of a sudden i i believe i'm stupid it's the constant um reaffirming of of that and as a kid when you're told something long enough you believe it and so as a child you're forming you're forming who you are through your parents and um whether they mean it or not you believe it because they're your authority you know and so for me it just formed well I'm, I'm not really smart and so I went through school not believing I was smart I went through my young adult life not believing I was smart and so if anything triggered that or threatened that it would it would affect me in a negative way were there people in your life who who challenged those those labels as you went through your young adult days and you know you, you talk later a little bit and we'll get to that about you know, what, what Christ says about you, but were there people in your life who really challenged those, Alex, you know, you're, you're not stupid or, and how did you, how did you engage with that when you'd heard that so much or when you felt that within yourself? Absolutely. Uh, it would just bounce off. It Mm. would, people would say it. I wouldn't believe it. It wasn't until I believe what God said I was. Um, cause I think you can have positive affirmation you know, people would tell me I was beautiful all the time, but I didn't believe it. So I thought they were mocking me because my internal dialogue was I'm not beautiful. Um, so, you know, you could say, well, no, you're really smart. You're amazing. And I'm like, that's a lie. I'm not receiving it. So it wasn't until I got healing uh, inside my heart that then I began to believe what God said about me, what the word was written about me. You know, you're fearfully, you're wonderfully made. You know, you're my daughter. I don't make anything bad I you know you're good and you've got a good plan and a good purpose and you can do all things and you're an overcomer and you know all sorts of things so it wasn't until the healing took place then I started to believe what Christ said about me because I think that's the power it's not just positive behavior modification or positive positive talk or self-talk I think it is a healing that's going to take place at the root uh, because otherwise we're just dealing with symptoms I needed to go to the root of the very beginning of I believed I was reject. So I had to take that and go, I'm not a reject. I was made with a purpose. I was designed by God. He purposed me to be here. doesn't matter what anyone else says. God wants me here. He loves me. He died for me. He set me apart. He has commissioned me. He has called me. So I have to believe that. And those lies out, you know, outwork. The, the, I mean, the, that, those lies had to be replaced with those truths. Hmm. Was it an instantaneous thing? Did someone pray for you and bang, Alex, you're better? No, it was a journey. It was a journey. I think our whole Christian life is a journey. That's why I wrote lots of stages about my life. It was uh, from 5 till 30, 31, I think, is my whole book there. And it talks about the different, because, you know, I went from a family dysfunction into a leadership dysfunction because I still didn't, you know, I was still looking for validation in all the wrong places. So I think it just, it builds as you grow in faith and grow in love. And I think it's, I think it's a journey, you know, mm. you, you walk through these things and things just peel off like onion layers. 
how do you how do you find yourself grounding you know you talk about okay rejecting the lies of the you know the world um people put on you the the enemy but how do you sell in and accepting or you know believing internally believing being healed um that that kind of language you're using but how do you ground yourself in that when the labels are continually put on you now you have an author of oh alex you're now sorry a label of an author so labels change as well as you but how do you ground yourself well, because the the Bible transforms my mind, it renews my mind. So I ground myself on the Word of God, and so whether I'm so like now being an author, that's not who I am. That's what I do. That's mm. a portion of what I do. It's not who I am. I'm a I'm a pastor of a church. It's not who I am. It's what mm. I do. Mm. Uh, pastor is my spiritual gift, but I'm Alex Sealy. You know who is Alex? Alex is a fun-loving girl who loves the Lord with all her heart, who, who who has a great husband, who has two beautiful children, who loves to laugh, who is a great friend, who is strong, who's capable, who's smart. Like, that's who I am. So what I do now doesn't affect, and it, my security is not in the accolades I achieve. It's not in the things that I do. It's just who I am. And I talk about that later on. I'm you know, I talk about being dropped off in America and no friends, no work, mm. no position. And I and God asks me, who are you without all of this? And I'm like, I'm your daughter, first and foremost. And, you know, when you find the fullness of his love in the emptiest of places, that's when you know who you really are. So I don't need to be doing anything to feel good about myself. I am good because he he's inside of me. He's good. And so the groundedness now is... I. No matter what I do, whether I do nothing for the rest of my life or whether I become the most successful speaker, author, teacher in the world, nothing changes uh, internally. Like I don't need that to affirm me because I've had an encounter with Jesus that says he says I'm good enough and that's it. The rest is all bonuses and it's all love and fun and, you know, but there's, you know, everyone kept asking, what does it feel like? You finally written a book and published I'm like I still feel the same as I did the day before there's no difference it's because it's not who I am it's what I do and I just got to finish something and now I'm on to my next book so I've got to write another one so it's just work to me it's like writing essays every week so it's just work um so I think for that you've got to really find who you are according to your inner working, not what you do. And I think so many of us in this day and age are defined by what we do. And that, that that's temperamental. That's always going to change. So you've just got to know I'm good. I'm good, I'm happy, and I'm blessed. And that, that's good. So No, that's good. How, how has this healing process changed how you see the gospel? Do you think that it has changed how you see the gospel or how you see God's love or how you see God's heart for people? Yeah, I feel like it's just so effortless now. I, I used to have to, I felt like I had to earn to God's love. I felt like I had to, I, I was working for his approval. Um, now I see the gospel as I work from approval. Um, so that's the difference. And I think it's changed my the way I see people. I see people in process and I see people on a journey and I'm not as judgmental. I used to be super judgmental because I was actually judging myself um, and then when I was watching somebody not measuring up, it made me feel better. 
you know, uh, but now I see everybody as, as God's child. They're on process and he's patient with us and it changes the way I love. It has changed the way I see people. It's changed how patient I am with people. Uh, I'm not, I used to be so cut and dry and awful in my leadership. Like if you messed up, well, then I've had enough of you, go away. Now it's like 70 times seven. I actually understand what that means. Like you don't give up on somebody because God mm. doesn't give up on us. And and so you, you see people through Jesus colored glasses now and he never gave up on us, you know, even how many times we messed up and we stuffed up and he's just patient. And so I've, I, that, it's really changed that for me um, because now I'm secure. I'm not needing a person's validation in my life. I want to be the solid constant in somebody else's life. Um, so that's kind of how, how it's changed for me. The gospel is it's beautiful. Seeing people through, you know, God's eyes is like the biggest prayer for myself. It's It's a hard sometimes way to see people because it is that, way that helps us to love our enemies and forgive and do the hard things of of Christianity, not just, you know, what we would think are the hard things, but the actual really hard things of looking at your enemy and going, I have nothing but pure love for you. You know, that's a, that's a very, a deeply transformative love that Christ does within us. But, um, I wanted to ask a question because a lot of many of my listeners don't um, don't follow Christ as well. They're on a yeah. journey. They're on this process. Yeah. What about girls or, or, or guys as well? We all receive labels, but I, I would just ask yeah. you as a woman, what do you say to people who are walking in those labels who don't yet know the freedom of Christ? What do, yeah. what do we do in that space? Is it just, okay, well, you need Jesus to, to fix that? Or are there things that people can do still? I, I'm, I'm just asking, I'm throwing that yeah. out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, at the essence of it, I've tried both ways. I've tried mm. to do it without Christ. And I think it's temporal. Like I think it lasts for a minute and then you feel like you sink down again. So it's kind of a very, very insecure situation for me. Um, but when I have found Christ, I think, this, the Bible says when you seek him, you'll find him. And, and the thing I love about God, he's not asking you to go to church to find him. You, you will find him if you seek him in all, all the places. And I think for somebody that's had labels just put on them and they really seem, don't seem to get out of it, I think just ask. You don't even have to be a religious person, but God, God says that he made us all spirit beings. So there's a spiritual element to each yeah. and every one of us. So we can connect to his spirit. And so he was the creator of us. So just ask him, say, God, who did you make me to be? <laughs> like, what did you, what, what do you have in mind for me? Like, what, how did you create me? Like, because I feel like this is what's been put on me, but I, I know there's something greater. And to ask him, and he's really awesome because he just, he's no respecter of persons and he's not waiting for you to be all perfect and cleaned up before he'll answer your prayers. You don't have to pray lofty prayers. You don't have to pay, pray biblical prayers. He wants our heart and he wants to connect with your heart. And I think any father wants to be reconnected with their child. And if you want to really know who your true dad is, he's he's it. And I think for me, it was just a journey of finding out who are you? Who, who are you? And it doesn't mean you have to be a 
like a Christian, if you know, to be able to talk to him. Yeah. He is always present and he's waiting for you to call upon him. So I think too, just practically without Christ, I think you've you've just got to go to that young young kid, the six year old you, and realize what is it? What was six year old you like? Because I feel like our childlike state was the most like who we were designed to be. I think um, it's interesting you say that about, you know, who we are. And I find that in our world with social media and we blame social media, but it's not just social media. So many different voices are telling us who we are. And I find, because I work with a lot of young adults, I find that there's a generation of people growing up who don't really know who they are. And I was talking to a psychologist recently who said that, you know, they're the happiest people are the people whose practices align with their values. So knowing who you yeah. are and then practicing out who you are is actually how you'll find great joy in, in life. That's right. And so knowing yeah. who you are is, is hugely important. And, I, and that's really your, your book is discovering your journey of who you are. That's right. I think identity is our biggest crisis right now in this generation. We don't know who the heck we are. And so why are we trying to look to everybody else to tell us when the manufacturer or the designer, if you like, conceptualised you from microscopic itty-bitty seed that was planted in your mother's womb? So I'm going to find out from him who I am because he created me. I'm not going to go and look to a person who doesn't know me and has no thought about me. I'm going to go to the one who knows me. And when you go to the source, I'm telling you, he'll tell you. He'll tell you through his word. He'll tell you in your heart. And when you know who you are, you don't give a rip about anybody's opinion about you. I honestly can say that with my whole heart. I don't care what people think of me. And not in a rude way. Your opinion doesn't define me, so I don't change my behaviour so that I will receive affirmation from another human being. I am who I am, and I love who that is because God said, I created you. I set you apart. I purposed you to be here. Every bit of who you are, Alex, is what I designed. So just be free to be you, and it doesn't matter what anyone else says. When you can live in that space, I'm telling you, become a joy to the world rather than a hindrance because insecurity is ugly it doesn't look good on anyone it's always vying for attention but a person who just is comfortable in their own skin I tell you people are attracted to them like magnets so just love who you are you know God made you on purpose for a reason discover who that is and live out from that place and it will change the world it really will and that's that's your hope that is that your hope that when people read up read your book that's the deep thing that happens within them. Yep, absolutely. And I've had already multiple testimonies of people going, I I have had to just deal with a lot of crap and say goodbye to it and forgive that person and it's okay to be me. That's how it's happened. So I, it's just keys to help people go, well, if this is how she found it, then I believe forgiveness is so much power in releasing the root causes of so much of why we do what we do. And so we you, all have some- just, just quickly, we'll, we'll finish up here in a second, but forgiveness, you mentioned this in the book, but the, those people who kind of give them a bit of a teaser, um, 
forgiveness is a huge, I guess, factor you're saying in discovering who we are or, or moving past who we've been. Yeah, I think because what happens is when something's happened to you by somebody, you then live out like any abuse victim isn't the whole version of themselves because they're withholding something or they're protecting something. So we go into coping mechanisms. Um, we carry shame or that the effects of any kind of abuse, whether it's verbal, physical, sexual, we, we don't become the full versions of ourselves. But I've found a lot in my, my pastoral capacity when we forgive the person, the abuser or the perpetrator, what we're doing is we're releasing the poison that's meant for them. We're taking it out of us. We're saying you have no more power or control over me. So then you start to walk in freedom of I am not a sexual abuse victim. I am not an abuse victim. I am this. this is, what happened to me doesn't define me. So the forgiveness unlocks that power that the other person has had over you. And that's when you can start walking in your freedom and discovering because that sometimes acts as a block for you to actually walk out in the fullness of who you are because you live according to your identity becomes what's been done to you rather than the very true version of who you are. I love that because is it, I, I look at so many things that we're, we're encouraged to do through scripture and forgiving our enemies, forgiving those who've hurt us is one of those things. Yeah. And oftentimes we kind of look at it and go, oh, okay, like I have to do that. It's almost like, no, forgiveness is a huge key to living the full life that, that we're created to live in, it's better. It's actually the better way. And there's yeah. so much. Yeah, it's not yeah. something you just have to do. It's actually, oh my goodness, when you forgive, it's so much better for you. Yeah. Oh, it's freedom. It's absolute freedom. And the enemy holds us over a barrel with it because he says, if you forgive that person, you're letting them off the hook. Oh, no, 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 you're not. <laughs> God, well, he's our vindicator and God's just. And I have told so many people, whether it's on this side of eternity or the next, God's righteousness and his justice will prevail. But if we cannot be the one that holds unforgiveness because we're not God in we were forgiven by somebody who was perfect and we weren't perfect. So we have no right to hold unforgiveness. But the more unforgiveness we hold, the more bitterness we hold, the more that then manifests into us being ugly people. But the more freedom, the more beauty. And I've seen it in my own life and when I've not forgiven and when I have forgiven and it's, oh, my goodness. I was like, why didn't I do this earlier, you know? Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's a major factor of your freedom. That's awesome, Alex. Well, all the best with everything. And um, yeah, yeah, your you. book, thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for the rawness in that and, and helping people to discover, um, yeah, that they are tailor-made. You, you know, you keep coming back to that that analogy yeah. and it's it's really beautiful. So keep it up. Looking forward thank to your next, your next work coming out. Thank you. And all the best over in Nashville. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Samuel. Thanks for having me. No worries, for sure. Okay, see ya. See you later. Bye-bye.